It's the White Willow Way, the podcast dedicated to showing you how to use smart design to make your house homier, more functional, and more valuable. Here's White Willow President Daniel Opp. So today we're going to talk about the psychology of the barren wall removal. And the reason we talk about the psychology is because so many people are fearful of it. And it's not just the clients, it's also some contractors. And the reason it's contractors, often I believe, is because we're usually talking about removing a wall around a kitchen area to open it up. And what's happened over the years is we used to go to um, cabinet makers and they would just make cabinets to fit within the walls. And now they've created themselves into kitchen contractors. So you take um, a company that used to only build cabinets, and now they call themselves kitchen renovators, and they do a bunch of the other stuff. And they hire electricians, and they hire drywallers to finish certain things off. But when it comes to taking out a bearing wall, that's far beyond what they want to be doing. And so they say numbers like, oh, it's going to cost at least $10,000 more to remove this bearing wall. And I really think that's because this person is not experienced in it, and they're scared of the implications of taking that bearing wall out. The other thing it might do is force you into a permit situation. They want to stay away from that. Well, that's a great question. So, Daniel, do you need a permit to remove a load-bearing wall? 100% absolutely. And so that, and do most of these contractors, or are half the contractors doing those renovations without permits? Yes, but so technically speaking, according to um, the building code, you need a permit to install anything in your house, like a sheet of drywall. But the municipalities don't want you to do that because it's a waste of their time. So what we say is usually, and what those tell us, if it has to do with structural, then get a building permit. So when we're doing a kitchen renovation, um, you don't need a building permit, according to municipalities, because there's not... There's no structure happening unless you're moving a window or you're moving a doorway and you're taking a wall out. Then we're going to start issuing um, that need for a permit. So you mentioned why contractors are are intimidated by the the prospect of the load-bearing wall. But why are, uh, aside from litigation, which we talk about for a week, why are the homeowners so afraid of of messing with the load-bearing wall? You know, I find it less and less these days with the availability of information on the internet. People can listen to podcasts, they can watch YouTube videos, they can read articles about removing a low-bearing wall, and they can see pictures of so many people that have done it. And so they know it can be done because everyone else seems to be doing it. It's just how hard is it going to be in their own house? There's, There's one thing to say everyone else can do it, but when it comes to yourself, there's there's often a little bit of a hesitation, but it is much less than it used to be. Now, Daniel, houses, they don't fall down fast. They fall slowly. Yes. <laughs> when you remove, we're all waiting for this big boom, and it doesn't happen. But paint that worst-case scenario that happens with a, uh, a faulty installation or a neglected installation of, of, of a beam for a load-bearing wall. How about no installation of a beam? I've been in houses where a bearing wall was removed many, many years ago, and no beam was put in place. And so as long as the floor joists that were on top of that beam overlapped, and they added a few more nails to it to hold them together, you essentially get a trampoline effect in the upper floor. 
not very safe, but it's been up for years. But you get enough people jumping on that trampoline and it will come down. That is your worst case scenario. However, if you take, um, I used to live in a 1903 century home and around the stairwell, there ended up being one 17 foot two by eight holding up an eight foot by eight foot stairwell. And if anyone knows anything about structure, that is not enough um, in today's standards, but apparently it was back then. And what's happened is over the 111 years between when that was put in and when I renovated, that center of that joist had sagged by two and a half inches. And then all the floor around it had sagged to meet that point. But it never broke. So for 111 years, it held. And it slowly, like you said, started coming down, but it never broke. So then why do we need them if, if for 100 years, <laughs> over 100 years, this particular home only, only uh, shifted such an incremental amount? Something about people not liking their furniture rolling to the middle of the room. Um, the trampoline effect is not very good either. And building codes have got stricter and stricter and stricter in order to um, reduce liability, I would say. Like you said, we could talk about that for years. We right? could talk about liability for years. But I got a bunch of questions I think that, that uh, your listeners uh, will want to hear first. Just if you're just someone like me who doesn't have any particular expertise in homes, how do you figure out which is your load-bearing wall? You call someone like me <laughs> or an engineer to come do an inspection on the home. And so what I would do when I come is, uh, for a nominal fee, I'll look at the house because this might be the only time I'm coming down. And we talk about what is there, so which walls are bearing, and we'll figure that out by... Um, looking in the basement, what's going on, um, extrapolating through experience, what would have been done on the second floor. Sometimes we'll cut a quarter inch hole and stick a camera up there and look at it. And I'll give you a report on that sort of thing. And we'll talk about what you want to do with it. Um, because depending on what you want to do with the house, some of those walls may not have any consideration whatsoever, but the ones that are important, we're going to look at closer. And we'll talk about certain solutions for it. Are there load bearing walls that aren't bearing any loads? There are not load-bearing walls that don't bear any loads, but there are <laughs> walls that don't bear any loads. <laughs> do, you, do you find that people are guess wrong about the load-bearing load wall? I mean, they look in the basement, they look for the biggest beam or, or whatever it is down there and go, oh, that's my load-bearing wall. Often, yes. Does Even I have been mistaken, though, because you take what the basement looks like and you extrapolate it to the second story because it's all covered in drywall. And before you cut that quarter-inch hole and put the camera up, you say, oh, this must go that way. And then you open up the ceiling uh, you know, a couple weeks later and go, wow, this is really weird. I have never seen someone frame this way before. And that happens once in a while. It's very, it's very rare. But once in a while, you get these places where the builder just, I don't know, took it upon themselves to come up with a new way of doing things. Now, and this may sound like such a rudimentary question, but is there only one load-bearing wall, or can there be two different load-bearing walls in a structure, or three? Yes, yes. So most often, you get, um, let's call it a rectangular house, and you have one, and this is only in older homes, by the way. When I design new homes, we have no load-bearing walls. Wait, wait, stop, stop. <laughs> When you design new homes, you have no load-bearing walls. Why? 
because I believe in using, um, I've said it before, the most expensive thing in Southern Ontario construction is labor. And if there's ways that we can use more expensive materials that reduce the labor drastically, so be it. We will end up with a, a more cost-effective solution. Also, a much easier to put up solution, which means you save on time as well, which for the client is helpful. And one of those things is eliminate load-bearing walls. We have we have the the engineering these days to be able to design floors and roofs that span from one side to the other side. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, your outside walls are always load-bearing, but we're talking about your interior walls. We have no interior load-bearing walls because everything spans from one side all the way to the other. So, I can go 50 feet without the need for a load-bearing wall anymore. So the trust becomes sort of a, 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 a sort yes. of a surrogate for the load-bearing wall. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and let's let's just dive into that for a second. Um, in a split-level home, you know, you walk in on, on a level, you walk up and you've got your main area, your kitchen, dining room, living room, and then you walk up to your bedrooms again. Normally, over top of that main living area, there's only a roof. And when people want to take out the load-bearing wall in that area, which is usually the center wall, we're taking the wall out. You replace it with a beam and posts. And posts need post pads in the basement, which you know are like four foot by four foot by two foot deep holes that we just fill with concrete. And if you have a finished basement, that's impossible to get in there without destroying something. Um, and even if you don't have a finished basement, it costs money to be digging a hole and throwing it full of concrete. And we got posts and we've got beams and that beam will drop below the ceiling. If you want to put it in the ceiling, it costs more, but it looks better. This is all labor and it all costs money. When you remove um, all of that, you end up usually removing the ceiling as well. And when the ceiling comes out, the insulation falls because you're moving wiring around because your lights are in the wrong spot because you don't have the wall anymore. And once you've done all that, the only thing you have left above you is the roof structure. And the roof structure is actually relatively cheap. So rather than putting all these beams and posts in, we take it one step further. And this is where psychology comes in again, because often clients can't wrap their heads around this. But let's take the whole roof off and we replace it with trusses that span from the front to the back. And we have no below bearing wall anymore. And then because we're doing trusses, we could do vaulted ceilings. So you could have an 11-foot ceiling in that room now. Much better than putting a beam in place that drops it down to seven and a half feet. Oh, that's genius, Daniel. That's absolute, <laughs> that's absolute genius. What is an LBW, an load-bearing wall, in terms of permit-wise? Do you always need a permit? I know we're circling back a little bit on the load-bearing wall, but do you always need a permit? Yes, you always need a permit. Now, it comes down to the, um, I often tell people, when I have to get a permit for you, I'm going to make more money. So you might think I'm a little biased on this. However, if you don't get a permit and you start doing work and your neighbor calls and the building inspector shows up and gives you a stop order or an order to comply, and then you have to get a permit and you come back to me, I'm going to charge you even more (laughs) because there's so many more hoops I have to jump through now. Do do bungalows have load bearing walls? Yes. Is yes, that, because you're you're they're holding up the ceiling and the roof load. Is that a common misconception that I mustn't have a load bearing wall if I have a bungalow? Um, I've heard it before. I don't. I wouldn't say it's a common misconception, but it, I've heard it before. 
Why are we so attached to it? I guess it's the way the houses, our houses were built and it makes us feel good rather than have trusses that kind of vault there into the, that we cannot see, or perhaps we can, depending on the exide. Why do we love the fact that there's this great big honking beam in the middle of our basement that makes us feel so good? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the psychology of it. If, if people are used to things, you know, there's, there's contractors out there, builders, framers, um, they're getting fewer and fewer because they're usually the old school guys who don't trust trusses. They don't trust the engineering behind the trusses and they still want to build beams and what we call nominal lumber. And that includes the roof beams and nominal lumber. And they spend weeks of extra time building a house this way, which again, costs more with the labor and the materials actually cost more to build that way. But they trust it more because you know what? It's worked for 200 years. It's going to keep working right now. Well, is, is, <laughs> is that, you know, the surgeon's creed is do no harm. You know, that, that is the, the thing that governs them. Isn't that the sort of the, the creed of the builder and shouldn't do no harm if, if, if they're in mind that it's more substantial with a load bearing wall, isn't, shouldn't that take precedence? You could say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. So if this method's not broken, why come up with a new one? Exactly. However, the engineering today is so far beyond like the, the way we can do calculations and, uh, and the, the new materials that have come up. Um, and often we're using the same materials, but it's just the fasteners that connect the materials that are different that enable us to span further. Um, for instance, gluing and screwing a floor will give you a much better floor than just nailing it. Get the hell out. No way. Yeah. It's it, it choir. It holds together better. Um, if you add concrete on top of your floor, you can actually span farther. Now, that's another psychology thing. You think you're adding weight to it, and it's going to um, span less because you have more weight on your floor. It actually, what it does is because that concrete creates um, a uniform um, floor structure instead of one piece and another piece and another piece, it's like a beam. One piece of material and then a space and another piece of material is not as strong as those two pieces nailed together or glued together. And this concrete does the same thing. It connects all those materials together to make one system that will actually span further. We can prove it with math, but the psychology is harder to wrap your head around. I love that. I really hope everyone else enjoyed this as much as you did and I did. This is a fantastic conversation about the psychology of bearing walls. I, I could talk for hours on this. But next time, how to survive the municipal process on the White Willow Way.